in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. Welcome to a Zoom version of Capital City Church. Great to have you guys. How's everyone doing? Everyone's on mute. Thumbs up, everyone. <laughs> We're going to do our, our readings now for Mark 4. If I understand right, Amanda and some of her or her two boys are going to read the scripture for today. Again, he began to teach, or Mark 3, 7. Mark 4. Again, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And then it's to them. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty fold and sixty fold and a hundred fold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, again, I just want to say Happy Mother's Day, um, and I'd love to, yeah, preach through this text and talk a bit about it. So, in this parable of uh, a sower sows seed, but unlike in real life, when someone is sowing seed, they're a little bit more particular and choosy about where they put the seed. Uh, but this sower is sort of just sowing indiscriminately. Um, some he sows along a well-trodden path that is so hard it may as well be paved. Uh, no seed will sprout there, and it just sort of sits on top of the path like as, as if it were paved, like it were a rock path, and the birds see it out in the open and come snatch it away. And honestly, I think in terms of ministry, in terms of God's fruit that he sows, his spiritual truth, this is the most common thing that happens in our culture. So God sows this truth, but people have filled their lives with other things. We have allowed ourselves to become so hard-packed and downtrodden that the seed doesn't take. Um, I have my favorite, you know, enemies to point at. Others probably have others, but uh, I often notice just how distracted we are, right? Whether from uh, social media to entertainment, television, 
people are much more likely to choose not to think than to dwell on any sort of idea. If God prods them with some sort of spiritual truth, people are more likely not to uh, even think about it or consider it. If you take someone um, who's not really given to introspection or thinking about, you know, what's the meaning of everything? Why are we here? Who, who is it all for? Uh, but if you take them and bring them on a silent retreat or put them in the wilderness for a few days, it can either be like this beautiful awakening or it can be just a terrible nightmare for them to actually have to be alone with their thoughts. Um, God is constantly sowing, but if your pace of life is so fast and well-trodden that you never look for it, uh, if your soil isn't ready to receive it, then the seed goes unnoticed. And this reminds me of a story that went viral in, I think it was 2007 or 2008 when I was in college. So there is a famous violinist named Joshua Bell, and the Washington Post ran a story on this. They called it uh, Pearls Before Breakfast. So you can still Google this. They still have this active, probably because it won a Pulitzer. So it's a really famous story. Uh, does anyone know this story? My show of hands, has anyone heard? Do you know what I'm going to talk about here? Yes, yeah, so some people have heard this. It was just went viral about 12 years ago. Um, so Joshua Bell is one of the most famous violinists, not just of today, but possibly who's ever lived. He's a child prodigy who's just crazy. And then unlike some child prodigies who kind of flame out, he, he just, he grew up into the best violinist in, in the world. And he regularly sells out concert halls and the minimum price of a ticket is well over a hundred dollars to see him play. And the Washington Post ran this experiment where they said, hey, what if you dress up like just a common, you know, street player, a violinist and, and go into the Washington DC subway and just play there for an hour? You know, what, what would happen? And so they asked a few classical directors and composers, they, they said, what, uh, what do you think would happen if, if Joshua Bell went into the DC subway? Uh, and some people were kind of worried. They're like, well, if you have a player that famous in the DC subway, like you better have bodyguards and stuff because the people will pile up. And, you know, if anyone figures out that he's playing his violin, you know, that thing is worth three and a half million dollars. So um, I don't know if you know this, that violinists play, the best violinists in the world play on original handmade violins from the early 1700s. There is one human uh, in the early 1700s named Stradivari, people call it uh, Stradivarius as well. And he handcrafted violins that still are baffling, like people who work in physics and do acoustics and acoustic engineering and all that, that he somehow had the ear that even though he didn't have modern lasers and precision instruments, was able to create these violins basically perfectly. And no one could figure out how he did this. But even just like a half a millimeter more or less of wood on any part of the violin would make the sound less good. And he just was doing all this by hand. Anyway, so he, there's like a dozen of his violins left in the world. And each of them goes for multiple millions of dollars. So anyway, this amazing violinist has a three and a half million dollar violin. And he goes down into the uh, DC subway and he plays for about 45 minutes and he plays the most technical difficult pieces so beautifully like only a handful of violinists can even play these these pieces in the world and he plays them and just thousands of people there's a time lapse video you can see of it just thousands of people walk by while he's playing having absolutely no idea what they're seeing or what they're not seeing what they're missing and there are just a couple of people who stop along the way and listen for a few minutes most of them they were interviewed later they were people who played violin you know growing up or in high school even in college they, they knew enough to know that what they were hearing was not just a normal street busker uh, but no one really gave it much notice there was one person of, of all the three or four thousand that passed that actually recognized him and knew 
who he was. And he collected about $30 over the course of that hour, which is funny because he sells at whole stadiums of people who pay over $100 to see him play those same pieces. But in the subway, you know, in the norm, normal street clothes, without all of the hoopla leading up to it, no one really knew what they were seeing. And so there's this great little parable or moral in that, that even though his playing was the best in the world, the crowd wasn't ready to receive it, right? The soil was hard packed. It was well-trodden. People were busy. They had their eyes on other things. And even though this amazing fruit was right before them, even though something beautiful was there, they had no idea because they weren't ready for it. They weren't looking. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of questions that can be had about this, like what is the value of art and all the rest. But uh I, I just I find this story fascinating, and I think God's spiritual truth is the same, that he sows seed all over the place, but we're just so busy. We're the thousands of people lining the subways trying to get to our workaday lives, and we don't notice when he sows true brilliance, meaning any sort of question in our life. We just go on. It's easier to, you know, it's, it's easier to put the AirPod in and not listen and just keep moving than to pay attention. Um, if the soil's not ready, it, it doesn't really matter how good the seed is. It won't sprout. So I want to ask you, what is your soil like? Which is similar to what is your soul like, right? What is your soil like when God sows in your life? Are you ready to receive it or do you just hustle by? So this hard packed soil on the path, that might be the thing that we see the most of in our world. Um, but in a sad way, even though we see the most of that, I, I'm kind of used to it. But what hits me the hardest is the next part of this story. So Jesus says that other seed uh, falls on rocky soil. And if you follow Christ for long enough in a Western society like ours, you, you see this a lot. So people believe Jesus and follow him. You know, they're so excited. They might shoot up fast, sprouting in the beginnings of leaves. And they're, and they're really excited. And so are you. And you're like, man, this is what ministry is all about. This is what this life, uh, what pursuing Christ should look like. But then the hot sun, the noon sun comes out or the rains don't come. And the Bible says that these people wither and not because just the sun has come out or it's a dry week. I mean, those things happen to all of us. They are a necessity and an unavoidable part of life. But it says that they wither because they had no root. So what does it mean? They don't have roots to withstand the heat or to withstand the lack of rain that comes. So they fall away and wither, and you find yourself looking on this withered plant. Uh, and, and, and they're maybe in the same place that they were a year or two years ago. And you think, like, what, what happened? I mean, they were, they were doing so well, and now the sun has come out and they're scorched. And it's, I, I find it to be kind of exhausting, right? That in a culture so antagonistic to following Christ, this happens often. Um, I've heard it compared that walking with Christ is, is kind of compared to swimming against a river's current. And in some eras in history, the river is so wide and slow moving that it's kind of just like a lake and you hardly even notice that it's moving. You can swim with or against the current and not really know which way you're going. Um, it's easy to swim against or with the current. And others, other times are like the Mississippi where only the strongest swimmers could bear to swim against the current and only for maybe a few minutes. Um, and when people are swimming against that current, which is what it, what it is to be a Christian today, when people swim against that current, uh, giving up often seems like success. And this, is, this can be exasperating that when people leave their faith, they often act like it's a success in the beginning. Uh, and it's like, 
you know, think about like running up a hill or swimming against a river, your muscles are crying out. Your muscles actually send a signal to your brain to stop when you're doing something that's making you gasp, that's really painful. So as soon as you stop doing that exercise, your muscles reward you with pleasure endorphins that are like, hey, good job, you stopped, now you're resting. And that happens in faith as well. When people are swimming against the current and finally stop fighting, they say, hey, this is, this is rewarding. This is, what, this is what I was truly looking for all along. Uh, but that's partly because the current hasn't really taken them very far yet. But when you stop swimming, that current takes you and it takes you far where you did not intend to go. I've seen this just dozens of times. Um, and have you ever noticed that if somebody does leave the faith, have you ever noticed they, it, they never become less like the world after that? Uh, it's not like they become an ascetic or a Buddhist or something. They're almost always just conforming to the trends around them. They stop swimming. They wither because they have no root. So don't let this be you. Don't handicap your roots. That's a slow process. You can slowly damage your roots over the course of months and years. But eventually that sun, the hot noon sun is going to come out and there won't be clouds for days or that drought is coming. And if you don't have the roots to hold on, you will stop swimming. Jesus says, uh, the other seed fell among thorns. And I, I was laughed. I had to change this in my notes because with each, with each one, I drafted them on different days and each one I'm like, oh, I see this one the most. I see this all the time. And I'm like, wait, I said that on every kind of soil. Like that can't, they can't all be true. Uh, but with each of these categories, you know, even though I see it often, I, I wanted to say like, this is the one that I always see. But um, truly the seed that fell among thorns, I think is the most common um, in terms of ministry partners, colleagues, friends. You know, if you've been walking with Christ and you've had these friends, whether through college or afterward through church, um, if you hold on, you will see this happen again and again in a long life of following Christ. So Jesus says, um, and others are ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So now don't brush this aside. A lot of people think like, oh, this is just someone, you know, who becomes a Christian, but then becomes obsessed with like getting rich or be, being a millionaire or something. And then that takes their faith away. And that, that of course, is like the classic, like even, even non-Christians grow up watching Disney movies, learning like people who want to give everything away to become rich, obviously often end up ruining their lives. Um, but that's not the example here, even though that's an easy one to pick on. But rather, it's the image of a plant that grows well, but then over time, it doesn't get killed or even, even die. But over time, it sort of loses some of its lifeblood. It it has some of that drained and the cares of the world or the desires for other things, not just riches, but just the regular cares of the world, the regular things that fill our, say, middle-class American lives, uh, fill our, our space, and it chokes out the care that we have for, for God, for the word. Um, if you think about this, that a little plant that sprouts up with weeds, say, a few inches away or a foot away, neither of them really compete or suffer at first, they, the, the plant grows like a healthy plant, and so does the thorn. But it's only years later, months later in their adolescence or their maturity, when those root systems become entangled, that's when you have this infighting between the thorn, the thistle, the weed, and the healthy plant. And as you know, whenever a weed and a plant fight, well, guess who wins? 
I mean, there's really no difference between a weed and a plant, just the ones that we don't like, we call weeds, but it's because the weeds are the ones that always win and ruin the ones that we wanted to cultivate. Um, and if you, if they both thrive on their own, but eventually their root systems become entangled into adolescence or into maturity, then the weed wins. And this happens to people in the Christian life. Uh, maybe for those of you, we all have different periods that we can look back on, but maybe for those of you who have been out of, say, your college years for a while, if those were the years that you really thrived, or if you've been out of your high school years, and maybe those were years you really grew in your faith, whatever it is, look to a period where you really thrived and grew in your faith. And then maybe if you're some time away from that period now, just kind of reflect on that and then how you feel now. I mean, oftentimes I look back to college years as that time, um, you know, think of a time when you're growing in your faith. Like no one can keep you away from your Bible. Uh, maybe you were memorizing scripture, going on prayer walks. You were just super involved in church or spiritual disciplines. Also, you had uh, leisure time back then. Imagine that. Uh, <laughs> you had tons of non-Christian friends. I, maybe if you went to a, a Bible college, maybe that's different, but I went to few of them. So I remember growing incredibly in my faith, but also having all these non-Christian friends and just regularly having conversations about Christ with them, bringing them to church or to like a Veritas forum, to uh, like a campus, like a crew or a NAVS meeting. And uh, But then as time goes on, your life changes and we're all in different places here, but you know, maybe now you have a career that's quite demanding. Uh, maybe there's um, illnesses, medical conditions. Uh, maybe uh, you, know, you have a spouse and kids, a mortgage or rent that's far less forgiving than the little corner on the couch that you carved out for yourself in college. Um, yeah, it, you heard the word, but over time, it almost seems sometimes like our life is longer than I think humans can get really excited about something for three or five or six or seven years, but our life is so much longer than that, that you can have these periods of really growing in your faith and then you just keep living and you keep living and you keep living and life moves on. You've got other things to take care of and you know, the desires for other things, other, other responsibilities can get in the way. And you look back on your memories or your heart from back then, maybe you find journal entries and you wonder like, what, what have I lost? I mean, have the cares of a normal American life crowded out God? Is that gone forever? Um, and partly, I just want to say it's not. Uh, those things, a lot of those can be gotten back. But also, I want to say, be encouraged that back then, whether you were in high school or college, those are the two times I'm picking on, uh, you actually had more free time, more movable waking free time than you actually had responsibilities. So there's 168 hours in a week. You take away eight hours for sleep each night, you're left with about 112 waking hours in the week. And school or college or work was not taking even half of those. So you had all kinds of free time. So there's more time to pursue God and whatever else struck your fancy. You're getting good sleep every night, basically. Or if you didn't get good sleep, then you could like binge and get more sleep for the next few days. Um, so just be encouraged. Partly, I want to encourage you that if you were this busy then, it might have broken you. But you've grown up, and you're a stronger person now. Uh, you've had to be to get to where you are. Um, but your worry is also true that the busyness of life has crowded out some of that healthy rain and sunshine that's needed for a healthy spiritual life. You know, some of that time in the Bible, prayer, worship, serving those who uh, are, are, are less fortunate than you are. You know, our, our relationship with God is a relationship and just like a love relationship would suffer if you neglected the other person or if you spent that emotional fulfillment you're supposed to seek in that other person, if you, if you spent that on somebody else, 
then that would certainly make your relationship with that person suffer. Um, and in the same way, our relationship with God is a relationship. And when we spend so much of our time looking to other things for fulfillment, that it does make that relationship suffer. I notice always when I read this that the thorns don't actually kill this plant. They just keep it from bearing fruit. So I, I see this image. I'm not too visual of a, of a thinker, but I, I see the image of thorns and uh, like a healthy you know, corn stalk or whatever kind of plant you've got in mind. And they're all just there and existing. But the healthy plant is so kind of crippled that it never is able to fully come to fruition and, and grow whatever fruit it's supposed to grow. The thorns don't kill your faith, but they will make you a fruitless tree. They will make you never really alive, but never quite dying either. You're just sort of steady and in existence. And uh, that's kind of a haunting and terrible image, but I think it relates to a modern, you know, rich Western society, Christian, Christianity, uh, more than maybe any of the others. For those at least who stay in the church, this is the, this is the worry is just the regular concerns and cares of the world. Not like, oh, I want to be a celebrity and be rich, but just the regular concerns, like whatever place in life you, you find yourself right now, whether you're looking to you know, maybe buy a home like we are or whatever it is, like change your career, graduate from college, you know, have a child, start dating, whatever it is that's like the big thing in your life, sometimes that can become all-consuming. And lastly, he talks about the good soil. And the good soil makes up for all that's lost elsewhere, produces 30, 60, or 100 times the grains that it took to make it. So the idea is it takes one you know, seed, one grain of wheat to create the new plant. And then that, that plant then grows 30, 60, or 100 uh, offspring to then send out. Uh, and these are the plants that we want to be. This is, this is our responsibility to cultivate our soil. We, we don't have, like the seed comes from God, right? He's the sower but it's our responsibility to cultivate our soil uh, so that this can happen. So how do you get there? And uh, an interesting thing is he doesn't tell us, right? So all the other kinds of soil describe why they're bad or how they're bad, right? The one thorns and weeds or the rocky one. Uh, whereas this, it just says, you know, good soil. And so fortunately from the rest of the Bible and from the counterexamples to the wrong kinds of soil, we can, build a picture. I'm just realizing like if someone in like rural farming America were to listen to me, they'd be like, this city guy doesn't know anything about soils. <laughs> I'm probably using like the wrong words and stuff, but I think you guys are getting my idea here. So we can build a picture from the inverse of the bad kinds of soil. And honestly, I, I found a paragraph from Augustine on this, St. Augustine from what, 1600 years ago. That was so good. I just wanted to take it and kind of comment on, on, on some of his, his points. Um, you know, sometimes it's almost... It's almost a curse sometimes to read something that's so good that you're like, I can't even, I can't even write my own thing after that. I've got to just interact with what they said. Uh, so he says, uh, work diligently the soil while you may break up your fallow with the plow. So we have to see to the plowing of our own packed soil, our own unused soil. Uh, and sometimes it's through uncomfortable work or uncomfortable prayers. We need to let the parts of our lives that have become packed earth uh, through constant footfalls, through constant just busyness. We need to let that get cut and flipped, turned over and uh, plowed, which is not always a fun experience. But he says, work diligently the soil while you may, because there's coming a point where we, we may not be able to anymore. It might be too late. Augustine says, cast away the stones from your field and dig out the thorns. Be unwilling to have a hard heart, such as makes the word of God of no effect. 
So I used to, uh, I grew up in rural Minnesota and I used to pick weeds in organic bean fields. So not like little weeds, like in a garden where you're picking with your fingertips, but these were like as tall as me as a eighth grader. And uh, something we, we learned all too well, just like a weed in a garden is that you can, you could like cut the ends off the weed to make it look like you did your job to the person who's looking from the edge of the field. But of course that won't do anything. If anything, it'll make it worse and the weed will come back stronger. If you want to get rid of that thing, you have to pull it up from its roots. Or if it's really a monster, you have to cut it out in quarters and chunks and then pull it up from its roots. Um, so what are the weeds in your life? You know, I mean, you know what they are, right? Like everyone's kind of, you know, when someone asks you what the weeds are in your life, maybe you kind of play it like, oh yeah, what are the weeds? But like your subconscious is like, yeah, I know. I know what those weeds are. So dig them up from the roots. If they're really a monster, cut them out in pieces and go one by one. Uh, but dig the weeds up from your life. Uh, the last bit from Augustine, he says, be unwilling to have a thin layer of soil in which the root of the divine love can find no depth in which to enter. Be unwilling to choke the good seed by the cares and lusts of this life when it is being scattered for your good. When God is the sower and we are the ground, we are called to work to be good ground. So it is, it is our calling to arrange, to, to plow up the soil, to prepare our own soil to be good ground for the sower. Plow your hard-packed life, remove rocks from your field, and pick the weeds and thorns so that when the good plants grow, they won't be choked out and that you'll be able to have fruit in your life. I encourage you to prepare your soul, your soil, it's only one letter different, but it's a very similar idea here that you might follow God and his growth in your life. Now, instead of saying exactly how to do that, I wanted to leave this for discussion groups. This is, it's kind of been fun to have these, these times where we can chat after the service, which wouldn't feel maybe as natural if we were in person, but this has kind of been a fun addition. It's not something that's been added through moving online. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com.